Sobriety, education, mental health, and much, much more. That is the topic with a very special guest today, right now. And here we go. Be sure to visit soundmind.app, peachjar.com, and nickelstrategies.com. Advocating for public education, sharing our stories, and celebrating our schools, students, and staff. From crisis communications to media relations, social media, and everything in between, we're here to give you the best strategies, tools, and techniques to help you help others. Welcome to the School PR Podcast, brought to you by Peach Jar, Sound Mind, and Nickel Strategies. Here's your hosts, Matthew Jennings and Ryan Ferran. And what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the School PR Podcast. So thrilled you are with us. And check out PattersonPerspective.com. We got a special guest with us today, Matthew. You guys know each other. You guys are chatting away before I even got on. <laughs> yeah, we had the benefit of working together for a little bit of time in a previous school district, which was awesome. And I was actually impressed uh, by Daniel then and his leadership at the school and uh, in a very, you know, affluent uh, community, uh, which can be, you know, sometimes interesting and tricky to navigate in, in the right <laughs> spaces, right? But uh, it's it's good. Yeah, I'm happy to have him on today. That's Thanks awesome. for having me. Daniel, welcome. Uh, we appreciate it. This is uh, for people new to the podcast. You may just, you saw Daniel uh, Patterson interview. Let me listen to this podcast. What we normally do is uh, school communications, public relations. We talk media relations, crisis communications, all that sort of thing. So if you're into that, there's plenty of episodes you can take a deep dive into. But I got a chance to kind of meet Daniel a few weeks ago, uh, working with SoundMind and uh, on a mental health webinar. And Daniel just did such an amazing job. He kind of presented a, just a great session on self-care and seven steps and kind of his journey. Um, and it was just so many things to learn from. And as educators, we're always trying to help our students. But Daniel had a great message of you can't really help your students if you're not taking care of yourself. And over the years through therapy and everything he's been through, um, Daniel, you just kind of have a nice little system, I feel like, that you uh, kind of lean on and that can really help you and other educators, whether you're in education or w whatever you're in. Um, so it's great to have you today. How are, how are things in uh, the PattersonPerspective.com world? They're good. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah. I just think that the the things I talk about and the strategies I use are definitely transferable to educators to just life. I mean, the humans are definitely humaning right now, you know, and <laughs> life is lifey for all of us. <laughs> and coming out of the pandemic, which um, as we get back to sort of the daily hustle, daily grind, um, there's a lot of reverb. And I would classify it as um, PTSD in some degree and just a lot of questioning of value and strategies and who am I? That sort of crisis of sense of self is not just what the kids are going through, but it's also what every adult, I think, especially in education, is facing these days. Yeah, there's been a lot of focus on mental health for students and how can we support and what are we doing, which has been great. 
but you're right. It's, you know, it's an adult issue too. And if you don't have healthy adults taking care of kids, what does that translate to? I also will talk about it in a bit, but your podcast too, Sobriety Uncensored is just fascinating. I've listened to a few episodes already, really like it. Um, love the style of the format and just kind of your journey there. So I guess before we dive too deep in kind of what is your path of, you know, you came through education and now you're speaking, writing books and doing all this consulting and everything, kind of y- your journey that started in education and uh, where you are today. Yeah, well, you forgive me if you hear the gardeners. Um, <laughs> there's like a lawnmower outside my window, so I, I feel a little horrified. Um I've been, I started in education at age 22, taught English for 10 years. I was a varsity tennis coach, student council director, became an assistant principal, and all while being a high performer, but struggling with anxiety and depression, which manifested into uh, full-blown alcoholism, you know, uh, good on paper, I think is the mantra for me. I had a 4.0 mask. I had a high performance mask. I was doing all of the things for all of the people. And in 2015, I got sober, which was just, uh, just eye-opening experience. It was kind of this out-of-body experience for me, obviously, like um, existential crises, but also not a crisis at all, just a very lucid time. And through that, I started writing um, more because my therapist was challenging me to do something with my time. When you stop drinking, you, re- you realize how much time there is. <laughs> Even when I was, as an administrator, working 60 hours a week, you take away the alcohol and the time goes so slow. So I started writing and eventually wrote a piece that I was really happy with and um, was trying to get this the local little newspaper to publish it. And nobody wanted it. No, Everybody was just rejecting it. And um, somehow through just... I don't even know how I ended up on the front page of the Huffington post and I was still working as an assistant principal at that time. And that came out on a Tuesday and that moment really changed my life. But the moment that really changed it, um, was the day before when my best friend of 11 years died by suicide who had been working in the school district. So I had this extreme high, high, low, low, and I immediately went into a place of, just survival mode where I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't think I was trying to be the only assistant principal of this really high performing high school and grieve at the same time, which proved to be and stay sober, right? (laughs) You know, and stay sober and deal with all of these new opportunities that were coming my way. And to be quite honest, it was, uh, it was a lot of a, a huge growth curve and uh, healthy and unhealthy tension between myself and other people I worked with in terms of like, what does it look like when, and this is kind of interesting for the PR perspective, when an active employee is writing for a national publication, what does that look like? And what are the rules there? And what is the nuance to that? And what are the agreements of what can be said and cannot be said? So fast forward, that happens in April of 2016. And in December of 2016, so the following fall, I took a mental health leave from work, um, and I never went back. Wow. So I've been on my own since then. What was the article about in the Huffington Post? It was free on free-range parenting gone rogue. 
essentially <laughs> a hit piece, uh, social commentary piece on the fast forward living of taking 15 year olds to Coachella and to Stagecoach and to Cabo and having them drink and the permissive parenting that was going on. And I wrote it during spring break. Um, <laughs> I wrote it during spring break when everyone was doing all of those things <laughs> and you know, people can do what they want, but I was just, I was just giving this sort of contrasting viewpoint of how, when I was younger, like, yeah, we had a lot of, you always talk about like, Oh, you just went out until it was dark and then you came back. Right. We had freedoms. We could do what we want. That's very different than teeing up like perspective addiction and also just super dangerous environments necessary, not always, but you know, typically. And that was what, and I knew it would get attention and it did. And I got a lot of reverb. Um, but you know what? Any press is good press, right? <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. There, there is that argument. I don't know that I necessarily. Unless you work in the communications office for that particular school district, which we won't get into. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But, uh, you know, to be honest, Daniel, I, I, I do have to just say I remember those times. I, I happened to work in the communications office at that school district during this time. <laughs> Um, and, and I will say that there, there have been a few brave administrators over the years. And that's why I led this off with, I was impressed with who you were. There have been a few brave administrators that I've known over the years that have taken a stand on something that's extremely controversial in their community and maybe kind of goes against the flow. And to be honest, in those instances, I haven't felt that their perspective was not wrong. It, it, I'm not saying it was right. I'm not saying that's the end all. Like your, your article didn't come out and I didn't read it. And I was like, yep, that's the answer. But it's right. a valid point of view and it's a valid counter perspective to the culture at the time. And um, I don't know, I, I had a lot of respect for it, even though there was some heat. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. And I was trying to use, I was really trying to use my, um, a lot of, you know, one thing I was told as an administrator is like, you know, not using social media or just be very careful. You need to keep it very benign. And I really was trying to use Instagram and, and Twitter at the time as a way to just really humanize the administrative perspective and, and humanize and connect with students to where I would be getting a lot of intel and a lot of messages and a lot of like, I need help with this through Twitter, you know, not inappropriately. So, but just like, that's where I would be getting a lot of the information because I was putting it myself out there. I was, I was letting myself be known good, bad, or indifferent, you know, I feel like schools and education in general has taken on so much responsibility and many of it is parenting responsibility that, you know, if you look at the origins of school and education, it's a one-room schoolhouse and somebody's teaching math and science, maybe. And then slowly over the years, we added, well, maybe they can teach um, history and maybe they can do some home ec. And how about music and sports and how not to be a bully, how to be a leader? And so the list is on and on. You look at the pandemic. Now we're testing kids. Now we're providing vaccinations. It's like, Oh my goodness, we're doing so much parenting. Right. The issue, the issue is we're really good at it, but also if we're doing all this parenting, when are we still teaching history and science? You want your kids to get to college. And so, and then people point the finger at us like there's this bullying incident and it's at social media at seven o'clock at night and they're coming to us saying, solve this problem. It's like, 
This isn't mm -hmm. a school problem. This is a parent problem. So we need to work together. And we've done, now the expectation is for schools to do all this parenting. It's like, no, the math teachers still need to teach math. Like they Correct. can't, they can't do all this. So that's where I'm at. And the, the messaging needs to go back to parents. We're here to help you. These are our, we're are not creating these problems. We didn't teach bullying. We didn't teach drinking. We're the solution. So don't come firing at us. We will work with you, but don't get mad at us. Work with us. We're here to help. And there's too much on educators plates right now. It, it, yeah. it is a lot. So I, I do appreciate the subtle pushback because where what's next? Look what we did in the pandemic. We're feeding kids like what society would have done without us in the pandemic. What were all these kids eating, getting tests, vaccinations? Like what would have happened? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it is it is the great common denominator, though. School is like, you know, the one thing that most people have in common at, at that age and stage. Um, but I definitely think that there's so much pressure on educators to be everything to everyone and to some of that is their own high achieving at least for me i was always trying to outrun my problems out earn my addiction outperform my depression so um overcompensation and and though i know a lot of great teachers that don't have any of those ailments who are still outdoing themselves and in yeah. grinding themselves into utter exhaustion but at the same time what you become aware of, you become responsible for. So if you are an exhausted educator, um, I was burnt. I got burnt out. I burnt out. I mean, that, that is the end all be all. I got to a point where I was working with my therapist and she was like, look, it's you or the job. It's you or your sobriety. And I had no plans to leave public education. I thought I would be a principal forever, some sort of administrator, some sort of, you know, it was in my pet family pedigree, my dad, my brothers, uh, everyone's in education. So when I left, it was not, um, it was the hardest, most scary thing I've ever done. I was completely panicked. I had no idea. I just remember, you know, when I took that mental health leave, it was a polarizing experience for me and I understood that there was a way for me and I didn't know what it was yet to work in mental health and work in education still. Um, but I just needed to discover what it was. And the only way I could find it was by leaving. Yeah. And, and so here's the great dilemma our society faces and you're an example of it. You have a great teacher, a great educator who's burnout and is done. Factor that in with we are in a national teacher shortage. Factor that in with the fact that we learned in the pandemic how important schools are to help support families and children in our society. So that is a combination for disaster if something right. doesn't change. Who's going to open the doors for kids while parents are working and do all these things to help support and nourish children if there's no educators left to do it? Like, who's going to take this on? So it is an issue. Uh, people like you bringing it to light is what's going to happen. But this is like the pandemic proved how just crucial schools are and education are, educators are. So how do we continue to support our communities and also our educators and adults and staff that are supporting the communities? Um, that's the big dilemma here. 
You know, I, I just want to say to back both of you up, just a, a very interesting statistic that I like to share with people that I think they find surprising because as educators, we don't think about it in this way. I think from the school perspective as an educator, you think of what you're responsible for, the time that the kids are with you. But I found it interesting when I looked at the data, students only spend about a thousand hours. A thousand, so there's 5,000 waking hours a year and only 1,000 of those are spent in school. Out of the 5,000 waking hours a year, that means there are 4,000 hours outside of school, right? And that's where we have to get back to, like, to your point, Daniel, like we're a partnership, to your point, Ryan, like with, with parents, there are thousands of hours outside of our, I guess, purview, our jurisdiction. We, we can help, we can sup supplement, we can try to train, we can try to teach as much as we can outside of that. But parents... Absolutely. Parents, guardians, you know, not everybody has a parent, of course, but they have to step into that space and own that other 4,000 hours alongside of us because educators absolutely cannot continue to bear the brunt of that burden. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and now, there's, we live in a product driven society, though. I think there's a lot of parents who think despite if, despite their students' uh, shortcomings or addictions or mental health dilemmas or, or anything, if they can just take the right classes, if they can just get the 4.0, if they can just get into college, that that's going to wave the wand and make everything better. It's finding kind of focusing on the wrong solution. Mistaking busy for successful is a term that I like to say, because they, you can't take every single AP level class. You can't take every honors class. Yes, there are those stories of kids that, you know, come from great adversity and those are typically self-motivated, right? Self-motivated kids, but not addressing mental health issues in, in your faculty or in your student population because of a time, like a time dilemma, like there's not enough time is an excuse that I just do not accept. I don't accept. I think you can integrate emotional wellness or social emotional learning or however you want to phrase it to be politically correct where you, where you live. There's time to integrate it. And, and there's all sorts of data and proof that, if you aren't cognitively, emotionally well, you cannot learn or perform your job at a caliber that you could. So true. Yeah, and that's another thing that we've added to the education plate, but it's a necessity is, is mental health. In the pandemic, now everyone's trying to provide mental health resources, add extra staff as counselors, psychologists, and it, it's needed, but it is in addition. So it's another cost, it's another, but to your point, yeah, the healthier kids are, the more they learn, the more, I mean, it's a, it's an amazing investment, but it is something else. So it's, uh, it's added, but it, but it is so important. You talked about in one of your, uh, I think it was your Instagram post about, I think that I forget the exact term, but we know the term functional alcoholic, where it's like, um, you know, you can be an alcoholic and you can have a day job. You can be very successful and lots of money, whatever you want. I think it was like something you had functional depression or anxiety where it's yeah, like, high functioning depression. Yeah. So exp explain what you mean by that kind of high functioning depression is in high functioning anxiety. I'm not when you think of depression, often you might think of somebody who, who can't get out of bed, who who can't. Uh, do anything who can't function right in their day-to-day -day life but high functioning depression is is what I have and it's almost the opposite it's like everything I do I struggle to do like it struggles it depends on how my depression feels that day right or where I am with my medication or or in the season of life but 
you know, getting up, going to work, getting ready for a podcast, giving a speech, you know, being a dad, getting the kids ready for school, all of those things take effort, but I'm not not doing them, but I'm still suffering a great expense to my mental health doing them. So I don't have a lot left in the reserve where alcohol would take it if I had it left. There's a lawnmower again. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. But I, but I think it's something we probably, people have had going on for years is like, that's why we always see like, oh, I'm so surprised. Like he seems so happy. He seemed, you know, you hear those uh, news clips or whatever, like, oh man, that I, I had no idea because there is that thing. It's functioning depression, it's functioning anxiety. So people can live what you think is a normal life, but you don't know what they do when they go home and how miserable they really are, or how they mask their emotions. It's a coping still skill that people get, um, they adapt to just out of necessity to get through life. When did you, I guess, when did you realize, um, getting back to before you got sober and all that, like, what was that point? Cause I'm sure there's people struggling, whether anxiety or alcoholism or substance abuse, where was that point for you that clicked? Like, all right, this is a low, I need to change, or I may not be here. Like, what was that for you? That, uh, I would say that I, around 2008, 2009 for me was the apex of my drinking and uh the lowest point emotionally where teaching is a very isolative job you know you think of it as very collaborative but as the lone adult in a classroom it can be very isolative and it lends itself to alcoholism i mean one year when i was an administrator i had seven employees get duis in one school year i'm just Yikes. You know, and that's if, if you look at that ratio, it tracks, right? I mean, so I was looking, I was looking at myself. I, it was, I was already born and raised with mental health disorders. Um, I didn't really know what to call them until I got older and got into therapy. But I realized that the depression was just being fueled by the alcohol. But being aware of the problem, that was like, let's say 2008, 2009, I didn't stop drinking. In, until the end of 2014. Yeah. Right. And I, my, my first child was born in 20, 2011. So it, that by itself was like, okay, I just don't have the time and space and I, I have to try to get it together. But it was proof that even like having a child, I always thought if I just have this job, if I get this promotion, if I become the assistant principal, if I get this or that, I'll quit. If I just bought a house, I'll quit. If I, when I have a kid, I'll quit. None of those things were true. It was when I, finally made the decision to uh, accept the help that was offered to me to accept the help that, that was available to me that I was able to finally quit drinking for good. And it's been eight and a half years to this point. That's good. Sober. Congrats on that. That is yeah, my whole life has changed. <laughs> That's uh, it, it's, it's, I guess the, the scary problem is that alcohol works so well to mask oh. so many things. And it just like, it's that so first sip feeling. Good. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. first sip feeling and and you spend the rest of the night trying to chase that first sip feeling and it's like a toxic, you know, partner. It's never going to, it's going to leave you unread. It's going to gaslight you. It's going to make you question yourself, um, make you think you, that you need it. And PS it's everywhere. And I'm not coming for your booze. If you're listening to this and you drink, uh, you good for you. You know what? Good for yeah. you. But if you have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, you already know it. 
you already know it. And it's whether or not you want to activate and kind of sit in the soup and, and feel really uncomfortable for a little bit, but the fortunes in the follow through. And if you, if you actually face it, you can level up in ways emotionally, socially, financially, in a career perspective, there's things hidden in plain sight that you had no idea were there because you've been clouded by, with drinking. And that's what drinking does so well is it makes you think your potential is capped when really it's not. Yeah. And it's what you said earlier too, about it's everywhere. And so, like, Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Every conference, every happy, I mean, it's just every part of society is just most parts I should say involve alcohol. So there's like no escaping how, I guess this is a, when you first start sobriety, Mm -hmm. knowing it's everywhere. It's like trying to give up sweets and go in the grocery store. It's like, mm -hmm. are you kidding me? There's nothing or, but or social right. functions with your friends. How, how are you not yeah, doing that? Like, right? Yeah. Yes. How do you, how do you even attempt to begin to navigate that when everything you're invited to is a wedding and this or that, and there's bars and booze everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, my rule of thumb is you have to go slow to go far. So future tripping is a big obstacle in, in any change, right? You, it's Memorial day weekend. We're heading into Memorial day weekend. So you could be like, well, I can focus on Monday right now of this three day weekend. That would be a big barbecue kind of beer day, or I can stay present in, in the Friday and focus on what I'm doing in the here and now. Um, it wasn't easy. I felt a lot of shame, especially as a school leader. Um, I didn't tell anybody that I stopped drinking because I was so fearful that every decision I had been making would get second guessed or my character would be questioned. Um, so I, I made no mention of it at all. Um, specifically during the rest of that first school year that I stopped drinking, I wouldn't, didn't go in and make a big announcement, but I think you could, you could tell in my productivity and my mood in my affect and, and, in my passion for what I was doing, I would say the passion for education was never at full throttle. Like it was when I was sober before Brian passed, you know, in that, in that window of time, I had a, a year and a half of magic of just pure magic. Um, thinking, God, this is, I can't believe I'm so lucky to have, yes, the job came with a lot of hard elements and yeah, you know, the parents and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, like, I just loved it. I loved the kids. I loved the excitement. I loved the unpredictability. I loved going to the games. Everything about it was just firing on all cylinders because I was able to be present, fully emotionally present, not counting the hours till I could get a drink, not counting the hours until my hangover went away or whatever, you know, like I was just there and, and it was beautiful. It's cool. Yeah, I'll share a pathetically true story, but I was doing like a, a sober month, one of those dry Januaries or something, and I went to some event. There was friends there, and they're like, oh, you're not drinking? Let me get you a beer, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no, I'm good. And then, you know, they just, they're like 12-year-olds. They keep nagging. It's like, why, why does your fun dictate what I'm putting in my mouth? Like, just enjoy your drink. I don't care what you're drinking. Just why? So I, I got annoyed. I left early. So there's another, there was an event that I wanted to go to somebody's birthday party. So it's the same month. I'm like, oh, I, I just dreading it. I'm like, this is so annoying. So what I did, I went to the bar. I'm like, Hey, can I get a water? Can you throw two limes in there? And so I threw two limes in there and somebody asked me, Hey, what are you drinking? I'm like, Oh, vodka soda. He's like, Oh, cool. 
and it was done. But it was like I had to freaking fake a cocktail right. so I could just not have a miserable time. And it was like pathetic. But also on my part, I thought it was kind of genius so I didn't have to deal with that. I could still have a good time. And like once you go into something, whether you're totally sober, you're going, you're whatever you're doing, it would, when you have the mindset like I'm not drinking, it just like it eases you. And as long as you don't have to deal with nine people asking you, why aren't you drinking? Sure. It's, God, life is so much easier. <laughs> well, it's like controlling the narrative, right? If you don't control the message, it controls you. So even, I mean, now I don't, now I can't because I have a podcast on the matter and I'm all <laughs> over social media on the matter. But early on, I mean, I was sober for six years before I started talking about it, really, mm -hmm. unless you knew me. And so even when I would navigate social situations like weddings or birthday parties or dinner parties it wasn't something that i talked about i would get a decoy drink like you're talking about it's just who are you going to spend your emotional equity on trying to explain mm -hmm. like oh, thanks steve i i don't really want to <laughs> like spend my time <laughs> like explaining why i'm not drinking so know your audience and also understand that you don't owe anybody an explanation and sometimes it's just way easier to not have to talk about it just like you've talked about ryan getting your decoy drink that's a power move that's a power it move. is and and we're lucky that we're men and I, i've done the decoy drink thing too women the instant you say you're not drinking everyone oh she's pregnant oh, and then you're dealing true. with all of that baggage right <laughs> yeah. so no nah, man the decoy the decoy drink is 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 real and and you're right right uh, daniel I, I like the way you put that like you just got to decide where you're spending your social capital because you only have right. so much capacity and save it for the people that matter the most absolutely I, I learned something today i didn't know there was a term for that but it makes absolute sense the decoy drink that's <laughs> like, right decoy I, I thought i discovered something genius there i'm sure people have been doing that for years but i was like you know it's weird when i used to do i used to do a lot of like, I had a health and fitness radio show years ago, and I would do these weird diets, like I would go vegan, I would do dairy detoxes. And it's same thing with drinking, it bothers people that you're for some reason, it bothers people that you're not doing the same thing they are. Mm -hmm. So there's some inherent subconscious thing about them that it's like, they instead of like looking internally, they look out and lash out at you. So it's like, is something wrong with me because they're not eating the same way or they're not drinking? It's just weird. It's like, why? They why start judging themselves. If I don't eat uh, cheese or I don't, and I'm not like, but people get like, oh, what do you mean? And I can never do that. Like, you're crazy. It's like, I don't know. There's this, this reaction that people have automatically. Yeah, I think it can be a little adversarial. I mean, any sort of change is a mirror. It's a reflection. Um, it, although, you know, a lot of people, especially people that don't know me well, if is and always on social media, right? If somebody is offended by a sober post, it's a, just a red flag. I'm like, look, if I'm on your algorithm and you're and you're coming at me, then <laughs> we all know, you know, reach out when you're ready. <laughs> I wish you well, but in my active drinking days in in my social circle people didn't know me. They didn't know sober Daniel, you know, they only knew drunk Daniel, not that I was drunk. And, and I explicitly want to make it clear that I'd never drink at work. I was so passionate about what I did and keeping that boundary and horrified that I would, you know, lose my career. And I was very good at compartmentalizing it, but if it wasn't a work day game on, right game on, it was life of the party. You, I was up for anything down for anything. So Sometimes the weird reaction I got from my friends was not that they 
had a drinking problem that they did, couldn't manage. It was like they just didn't know who I was, and I didn't know who I was either. I had to learn, find my sober resting face, you know, like mm -hmm. I had to like figure out who I was without alcohol, and it wasn't as exciting or robust or quote unquote fun. I just wasn't as wild. I'm more of the kind of highly cerebral calm person I am now, I'd much rather sit and have a conversation with somebody than work a room versus if I was drinking, I was like, I thought I was the mayor. <laughs> right. The liquid courage. It, it That's right. To a lot of people. Right. Um, yes. I love on a, I do want to oh, get back to the uh, sobriety. If, if anyone's like first steps, how do they even do it? Cause it, it's in our field. It's everywhere. I mean, it, it's nothing, you know, specific to education, but um, I think it is like some people don't know how to take the first step, but your, your podcast, uh, it's funny when you and Jenna talk about social media and she's always like, Daniel, what are you doing responding? And you're just like, I know they're stupid, but I can't help myself. I'm a people pleaser. And I just, I laugh at that because I always struggle with that too. And you have a huge social media following. I don't have a big social media following, but it's like some things just irk you and you're like, I know I shouldn't respond, but I need to get this off my chest because I'm yeah. going to feel good and I don't care. Like, t t tell me about your, because you're big on social media, you do a lot of this stuff. Uh, what What is in your mindset when you get these people that just kind of come at you or they have right. these weird questions? I'm getting, I'm getting better at it. You know, I'm getting better at not taking everything so personally, especially when I understand that their reaction to my sobriety is none of my business. But when, when people kind of question my integrity. Um, and I think that's a trauma based response because when I did leave my job and it was very sudden and it was very dramatic and it was very unknown publicly why I'd left. Right. I had a lot of, um, ancillary trauma from, you know, people's judgment or being dropped by people that I had worked with for 12 plus years. So it's just a weird wounding, right. Of not wanting to be misunderstood and also understanding that not saying anything when I left my job and being really, I mean, I canceled all my social media. I went dark and because I just didn't want to deal. But what I understood in that moment is that because I didn't want to deal, everyone else just would say what they said and, and things got out of control in terms of what people thought that they knew versus what was true. So on social media, sometimes I like to clap back. Um, and, I try to do it in a respectful way. I don't, I don't clap back anymore. It's something that's just a character assassination. But if it's really somebody who's trying to bend my narrative or bend my motives, then I will respond. Um, sometimes I do it well and other times I'm a work in progress. <laughs> We're humans. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like I, I'd sit here and say, Daniel, don't respond to anybody. Then I'd see something and it would drive me through the roof and I would, you know, I'd want to respond and just, uh, so I can't block and bless anything. block and bless is my motto. I block and bless oh, a lot of people. It's not worth my time. I yeah. like that. Yeah. You're a good follow though on uh, Instagram and I know you have a big following on TikTok. I got to get on the TikTok and check that out. Um, speaking of social media and TikTok and Instagram, so this is, we do a lot of branding communication, different platforms. We're always trying to figure out which one's the best and which demographics. So what do you think um, for you and getting out your messages, Instagram versus TikToks, advantages, mm. disadvantages, kind of what do you, what do you like? What are you seeing? 
I love, t- I love TikTok. Um, I love TikTok because there's someone for everyone and you just show up as you are, you know, I never, I will just wake up in the morning with a cup of coffee. I haven't shaved, I haven't combed my hair and I'll post a TikTok and I'll just talk about whatever's on my heart, whatever's on my chest or tell a funny story. And that approachability I think is, is easier Instagram, which I'm getting better at being, there was a weird mental block where I couldn't, I didn't know what to do on Instagram because I had only ever talked about education and mental health. So I was like almost afraid to talk about sobriety on Instagram in the same way. TikTok felt like a bunch of strangers and I could just be exactly who I was, right? Mm-hmm. When I started TikTok, I didn't know anybody on TikTok. I just started TikTok and I started just talking, right? So for me, I feel like there's more approachability. I know that TikTok people, they think it's the wild west, but I think the algorithm is so smart and so intuitive that it really plugs you in with people that you need to know. Um, Mm. Instagram is very traditional. It's more approachable. Generationally, it's going to reach an older audience, you know, probably a, a more educated audience. So there's a time and a place for that as well. Um, they both have different pros and cons, but, um, for just general, like getting your message out there. I think TikTok is, has for me been a relief, but maybe that's just because I started it with like, I'm just going to be a hundred percent me on here and Instagram. I'm always like, well, these people follow me and I know these people. And it's like this cross section of too many people from my life. And then it just overwhelms me. So Matthew, are you a TikToker? Professionally? Yes. Personally? No. You don't do anything personally besides Facebook, unless you've blocked me from all your other st- cool stuff that I'm not privy to. You, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I really, I truly don't. Yeah, I, honestly, yeah. Professionally, I'm on all, I'm in all the spaces. Personally, I am just on Facebook, and that is just an ancient carryover because that's where all my family is and right. friends that I have spread across the country. But uh, that, that's it. I, I just, you know what? To be honest with you, I just don't have a lot of space or capacity in my life for social media. Uh, you know, we, we, we live in it work-wise, um, all of us. And um, outside of that, personally, I've got, as you know, Ryan, I've got a million hobbies. I've got a lot of things that enrich me mentally and, and personally and my family and my kids. And um, really, I, I just avoid, I avoid distractions like that when I yeah. can. I feel like though, Daniel, what you said, somebody else was telling me about that. We were talking some health and nutrition stuff with a buddy of mine at the gym and I was like, he was showing me this really cool app. Um, I'll just, I'll tell you guys what it is. It's um, I want to say it's, it's called YouTube. We all know about YouTube, Ryan. Yeah, YouTube. <laughs> this really cool thing. It's called the internet. It is <laughs> the internet. Yeah, <clears throat> that was uh, what was it? Bob Dole? No, who was it? Al Gore? Al Gore. Al Gore. Did that. Yes. Yeah, that and global warming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, he was telling me about this app. It's called Yucca, Y-U-K-A. And it's like you you go and you scan. Like So if you're going to get a soap at the grocery store, you can scan the QR code and it'll tell you like, ooh, stay away from that one. It's in red because there's three chemicals in there that are hazardous or whatever. And then you can scan the other one. It's green and yellow. And so it's a pretty cool app just to give you an idea of kind of ingredients and stuff in there so i was like man would you i was like and then i'm at the store the next night i'm like scanning every qr code like an hour <laughs> it was the funnest thing ever i'm like god i'm a nerd you know how i know i'm old i'm scanning products for like health things in there so anyway i was like dude where did where did you get this this is super cool he's like dude i get everything all my health stuff i get it all on tiktok and i'm like 
Really? So he found this on there. But to your point, like, I think once you show, I think you're right, the algorithm on TikTok may be a little bit smarter than the other ones because once you start to search for things, I mean, they all sort of do that. But I feel like I've heard that before with TikTok. Man, I get everything. I just, um, I'm stuck on there because everything I'm watching, it's keeping me there because I like it. Right. Well, and it's different. And it, the the way that they present the information is different. There's a nuance there too, because on Instagram, there's just the Explorer page, basically, which I've never looked at in my life. I've never yeah. once gone on the Explorer page and be like, hmm, who's out here? <laughs> yeah. But on TikTok, it's just like, Every other TikTok or every few is just someone you've never known, never seen. It's a cold audience, a cold market. So if I look at the metrics on my TikTok, who views it, I can look at the data. 97% of people that view my content are people who don't follow me. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah, pushing it out. Yeah, it's pushing it out to so many people that I would never connect with because of the algorithm. I would say Instagram is more of a warm market. Like it's, it, you're feeding, you're feeding right into a warm market because you're posting to people who are already following you and it can be, become a little bit of an echo chamber. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's the problem, the potential problem I suspect though. So the, all face, all social medias do this. They expand your reach big time. And so you get excited and you're reaching all these people and then they start charging you to reach those people. So they get everyone on there. Everyone thinks their videos are going viral. Like, oh my God, I'm reaching this audience who you are. And they're pushing it out. But then once they want money, they're going to start charging you and boosting posts and all that, which is, that's the problem with um, the new platforms. They know they need to do something big and dramatic to beat Facebook and Instagram and Twitter who have established followings. So it's like, all right, how do we do it? All right, let's just send their stuff out to everyone who signs right. up and they'll love it, which is good initially. But I wonder what their next transition financially will be. Correct. Uh, the longevity of it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know. And people get, people ask me all the time because I'm, my footprint on TikTok is much larger than Instagram. Are you worried about if they're going to ban it? Or And I'm like, you know what? I can't worry about what I cannot control. That is not, if I've learned one thing through therapy, it's like, <laughs> that's the least of my problems. Yeah, and to... if they ban TikTok, everybody's going to go somewhere anyway. Meet them in that right. space. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They don't, they don't really ban matter. the people. They just ban, if they ban the platform, the people are still people. They're still somewhere else. Yes, and absolutely. To your point. So even if they do change, they they lessen the reach. You're still reach all these people. They know your website. They you know yeah. so they they know you're out there. Um, yeah, it's always a uh, interesting. I'll have to get on the TikTok. I have and it's like yeah, I know people are like there's people got off of Twitter. School districts got off of Twitter because of Elon Musk. It's like if we looked into everything we purchased, the chairs we're sitting in, the food we buy, we would not have anything. We'd be sitting in a cave by ourselves if we had an issue with something we bought from a manufacturer. Yeah. Yeah. I And, and one that's interesting that you say that in a little nuance here is like my podcast is sponsored by a sparkling water company um, or a drink company. Um, and they came out with a alcoholic beverage, right? And there was this little moral dilemma that my co-host and I had like, okay, do we, do we use this sponsor? Do we stick with the sponsor who now is having an alcoholic drink? But inherently, if you look, every single water company is owned by a larger company and they all are tied to an so alcohol company, right? And so, so, so it's all one huge web. If you start digging, you're going to start digging. I think it has more to do with the relationship. Like the company that sponsors us is small. It's, it's privately held. It's, 
of course they're going to compete and get into like the hard seltzer space. It would be, they would be ignorant not to from an economic perspective. Um, but when you start digging, you're going to start to discover that everything is connected in some way or some, somehow, just like you said, there's not a company in the free world that has not thought about doing seltzers that isn't doing seltzer. It's like, are you kidding me? How many freaking seltzers does, do we need? I mean, I missed the whole, I missed the whole seltzer (laughs) craze. I got sober. I, I got sober before that was a thing. You got I, had out to, before. I had to make my own. Yeah, you, you didn't miss that? anything. You're not <laughs> yeah. missing anything. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like, that is the craze. I mean, if we're not a country of alcoholics, I mean, every company is like, we got to get a hard seltzer because they are selling off the shelves. It's like, oh, my goodness. That is, you know, we're not. We're not alone, though, in that. And Daniel, I don't know what you've got anecdotally on this, but the United States certainly isn't alone in 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 decornering the market on alcoholism, you know, oh, no, no, uh, no. you know, I, I know other people that have come from other countries. I know I, I talked to somebody that told me once that 50% of, of most supermarkets in Russia are alcohol, for example, uh, like the produce section is, is like, a, is smaller than the alcohol section. Right. You know, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's just, it just goes back to like, you know, it, it is like you said earlier in the podcast, it's just so prevalent in every space that you're in. And so, you know, hey, I applaud you, Daniel, for being able to navigate that space and successfully hold on to your sobriety. It's yeah. it's very difficult for sure. Well, I, what I would say though too is that it's become much more socially acceptable and prevalent. You know, being alcohol free is having a moment for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Super Bowl. This was the first time that they had ad spend on an alcohol free alcohol Heineken Zero, right? And the uh, media described it as a dry, addressing the dry economy. And what they meant by that is like the amount of people who have reallocated their drinking money into non-alcoholic beer or non-alcoholic wine or non-alcoholic liquor, whatever. Um, So it's having ripples. That's the first time anyone's ever spent money in a Super Bowl commercial. And it was countered with the most ad spend ever by alcohol companies. Hmm. I think they spent like $2.3 billion. You've got the money to spend. That's right. Uh, don't get me started in what our government allows to be advertised and what it doesn't. <laughs> oh my God. But make no mistake. Like I don't, I am, I'm not, my wife has a healthy relationship with alcohol. She loves her wine. She can love her margarita. You know, it's a very personal choice for me. So I, I, I'm not offended when other people drink. I don't, I'm not a person who like looks at it like, Oh, it's the devil's water. You know, like I don't, you do you. And for me, it just wasn't working. It was a problem that I wanted to solve for, for myself, for my mental health. And it has, um, proved to be a good investment for me. So I think some people would hear that and go, wow. So you're sober, your wife drinks, but that you must be far in your sobriety, very comfortable with that. And so, but that, I think that is like, whoa, that, that happens. That's a possibility. Absolutely. Cause it's a me problem. It's a me problem. I used to blame alcohol and everyone else. It was the job. It was the kids. It was the parent. It was my childhood. It was my upbringing, my trauma, my stress. Like you can, you can pin a tail on alcohol all you want all day long. Um, going mining for excuses, but for every reason there is to drink, there's a reason not to drink. It's just what you focus on. You get more of. Amen. Yeah, I, I thought if I bought a 12 pack of Coors Light, I'd 
go home, there'd be like 12 Swedish bikini models in my backyard <laughs> at the pool I didn't have, and I'd be having the time of my life with, you know. Spoiler. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Damn it. Dang. <laughs> so, I, so speaking of pet peeves and annoyances, which I have many of, I was watching the NBA game last night at the gym listening. There's a Walgreens commercial on for diabetes, like let Walgreens help you with your diabetes. Narration from, I don't know, an actor or Walgreens person is like, so can I still eat sweets on uh, if I have diabetes? And the answer was, you can do anything with the correct plan or something like that. And it's like, that would be like an alcoholic saying, can I still have the occasional shot of tequila on a Friday night? Uh, no, but they want you to do that, to have occasional sweets so you continue to visit their pharmacy because you still need them. It drove me insane. Are you telling this somebody who has diabetes, yes, you can still have sugar? Excuse me? Yeah, it's a, it's a very confusing, that pharmaceutical <laughs> space is very, is very confusing where I go to pick up my antidepressants and you know I, I'm on two different SSRIs for mental health. You walk down one aisle, you know, to pick them up. And then the only way out is, you know, the exit aisle is all alcohol. <laughs> so it's like you go there for your medicine and you leave with the depression, you know, in a bottle. Don't forget you need some Jack. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I guess there's, there's different ways to solve problems. Um, but it, it, it's a walking contradiction for sure. It is. They want to keep you alive enough so you can still buy all the products you're dependent on because you're sick, yet they don't want to kill you. So they'll help you a little bit and just not enough. <laughs> it's amazing. It is our, amazing. Our, med our medical field is amazing. They do amazing things, but there's so many contradictions within it. Is this it the disclaimer? Yeah, it is. This is a disclaimer. So I love all the medical people. Sue me. I love <laughs> sue me. I don't have anything, but don't sue me because I have a little bit. Oh my don't God. sue me because I love you. But yeah, it's, it's just like, oh my God. It's just that we're inundated though. To your point though, it's everywhere. Everything is everywhere. So to navigate a, a healthy life is just not hard. So Daniel, before we let you go, we just wrap up with you. This has been amazing. I just kind of free flow going all over the place. So my apologies. But so if somebody is like, yeah, a sober life is probably in my future. And I, that does sound very appealing. Where does, and this, Again, probably naive, ignorant question, but where does one even begin to, if they're struggling with it, it's tough to do. You can't just put it down. Any advice as to how to start this process of sobriety? You say it out loud. Tell someone. I think once you call it into the universe, when you call it by its name, name it to tame it, it's, it's not simple, but it's what I would call best day, worst day. It's the best day because you get it off of your chest. It's the worst day because now you're going to be held accountable. Mm -hmm. But when you say something out loud to somebody, it, it, and for me, that was my doctor and my therapist, you know, and, and having them point me in the right direction and, and tell me what my options were, because it, it's the day and age of technology where I could literally right now in in may i could plan a thanksgiving dinner from my phone i could order every ingredient i could order everything from my phone right now on this podcast and it could be delivered to my front door so if i can do that there are more than one way to recover and i think we get locked in um to traditional modalities that people have assumptions about and i would say even check those out check your ego at the door and be open to anything, hold it lightly and get scrappy, get out there and see what works for you. Um, sober curiosity is a buzzword right now. And 
people mistake that from just thinking about getting sober. But I think the only true way to be sober curious is to live long enough without alcohol to know the difference mm -hmm. and then decide whether or not you want to go back. So you don't have to put a ring on it. You know, you can just get, do a few weeks, you know, 30 days, 60 days, see what it's like, and then make a decision about how you feel. That's how I approached it. I like that. I was gonna, that was going to be my follow up. Do do those dry months work? Like if you, I'm going to do dry January. Is that is that pretty good starting step, or does that make compound things on the back end? Because you know you're going to get freaking slammed in February. Or, or, well, I mean, I only agreed to take a month off. I mean, when I wow. when I quit in January, it just happened to be January first. I was hallucinating in. A, I was hallucinating at Norm's diner, no offense, Norm's, um, mm -hmm. on New Year's Day, and I was with my family, and I was having auditory hallucinations, and I went to the doctor immediately, and I agreed to take one month off. I agreed to take one month off to see if the medication worked. I was scared. I had full intention of just getting hammered on February 1st, and as I got closer to that day, I was fearful of that day, and I was like, I think I'm going to try one more month because February is not a real month, you know, it's real short. So I can, if I can do January, I can do February and that's just how I played it. So sometimes if you set a 30 day window, I think a dry month, you're not actually living life. You're avoiding, you go into avoidance, you go into white knuckling it. Um, I'm going to do this dry January by not living my life. Really. I'm just going to stay home. I'm going to stay in. I'm going to do this. It's not a real sample. It's not a good beta test of what life sober is like which can be a lot of fun, very rewarding. You can still go to concerts and go to sports and go to dinner parties and go to weddings and do all the things you used to do. You just do it without the shame and the regret and the hangover and the mistakes. So That's beautiful. I like that. You know, Daniel, um, not to shift gears, and I should have looked it up. I'm going to throw uh, – I should have looked it up. You wrote a parenting book a few years back. Yeah, um, I wrote, I, was... I've written, written two books, yeah. So I think that's worth noting as well, um, because we're, we're talking a lot about this particular topic, but we also have a lot of parents that listen to the podcast, and one of them, man, I really should have looked this up. It, I always wanted to get it, and I hadn't until you're on the podcast right now. Yeah. I'm like, I got to go back and pick that up. But it was it's called um, the, assert, is the Assertive Parent. Assertive, assertive Parent. That's what it was. Yeah. Yes. It had a red yeah. cover. Yeah, it did. It, Am I right? That's right. Yeah, you're right, Matthew. Yeah, I should have looked that up. I, I wrote a book in 2018 called the assertive parent. And it was just basically all of my knowledge of working with teenagers. Yeah. Um, not, not as a parent, cause I'm not a parent to teenagers, but as a, as a teacher and administrator, you're a parent to thousands of kids, right. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways. And so it was like how to talk to them and sort of what my philosophies were in terms of what was healthy and normal and versus not right. And that book did really well. And then in 2020, I wrote another book called recover edu, which is a communication guide for addressing mental health in schools. Well, and cool. I interviewed different kinds of stakeholders. So every chapter is for a different community. Like this is what teachers need. This is what parents need. This is what administrators need. This is what psychologists need, how to work together in that book. Um, I love, and I'm writing a third book right now called Sobertunity and uh, to be determined when that book will come out. That's cool. We'll stay tuned for that. I, I know I do remember the assertive parent. I'm being about teenagers now. And that was my thought. Like I didn't even have kids at the time. I do now, certainly still a few years from teenage years, which is great. 
Um, but definitely something I want to, I want to pick up because I really appreciate the perspective, uh, you know, as an educator in that moment. And like you said, being a parent to thousands. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah. Where do we, where do we get the books at Matthew? Maybe a uh, peach jar Amazon? will finally give us some darn money and we'll get some books and we'll do some giveaways. Let's go peach jar. Come on. <laughs> so Amazon, Daniel, is that where yeah, we're going? Yeah. Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Nice. Your, your standard. So, this, I mean, could we agree to this ask, getting back to the sobriety thing, is so if, if your buddy's doing a dry January or they just got an early morning and you're at an event, don't pester them. Let them, yeah, let them let, be. Just let them be. Let them live their lives. So don't give them this peer pressure. Don't offer them to buy them a drink. Don't say, oh, come on, just one. They say, I'm not drinking. Respect it and shut the heck up and move on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. Because you never know what somebody's going through. And that was always my line was like, I'm not drinking tonight or I'm not drinking right now or I'm not drinking today. And it could have been a big, long story, but the anxiety of that moment for me just to say that was painful. So I don't need you being like, why? Tell me all the, tell me everything, you know, yeah. especially when they're kind of drunk and they're swaying. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, you're not even going to remember this tomorrow. Like, yeah, why are you like, talking about on, this right bro, now? Get out of yeah. my kitchen. Get out of my kitchen. <laughs> And the constant high fives and how much they love you, man. Oh, God. <laughs> no, now we're doing that. Um, you know, hey, while we're agreeing on stuff, what we need to agree on is a tennis match in the future because I don't know if you caught this, Ryan, but Dude. the top of the podcast is a tennis coach. Yes. Dude, I, was, I have that circled on my notes. <laughs> Varsity tennis coach. And I caught it in the webinar the other night. You said it. I didn't want to interrupt. I was like, wait a second. Dude, this is the most important question. You play tennis. You coach tennis. I'm addicted. You still oh, play? Yeah. Oh, I, I still play all the time. Yeah. What yes. level are you? Are you like a 5 What are, what yeah, are you talking around about? Around a 5 yeah. Holy crap. I'm coming down to hit, dude. Let's do this. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. I'm oh a member of a club right down the street. We can go play. Oh, I'm at, I'm at the Claremont Club. What club are you at? Uh, just Nellie Gale. No, my goodness. I love good tennis clubs. Yeah, I do ladders, USTA, all that. Oh, yeah, stuff. the Claremont you... Club. That's where they had the CIF finals always. Yeah, all the time. They just had them over the weekend. That's right. Um, the reservers in the courts right now. It's like uh, it's going to be a great weekend of tennis. So, do you play USTA? What do you? What do you just play with buddies? What do you do? I just I do a live ball on the weekends, and then I have a few buddies that I play with who are similar level. Yeah. Nice. So, are you what? teaching the live ball clinic? No, no, I just play. Do it. I just play. I'm not. I'm not teaching any tennis, and I'm not playing any pickleball. <laughs> no pickleball. Um, no. That's what the rage right an, now. Are you an anti pickleballer? I'm not an anti. I've just stuck with tennis. I've just stuck yeah, with tennis right now. I like. I like my tennis. It's good for. It's good for my mental health. It's my favorite sport. I grew up playing. I go to the Grand Slams. I'm obsessed. I grew up playing too. I stopped after high school. I graduated and I haven't touched a racket since. Literally have not touched a racket since, Matthew, since I graduated. Come on, bro. We gotta get you back on the court. That's what Ryan keeps saying. What yeah, for sure. He keeps threatening. I'm I'm ready to uh slice him and dice him up a little bit. I'll, I'll get this Did you go to BNP this year, Daniel? I did not. I did not go to BNP this year. Um I I typically go. I haven't gone in a few years and then I've been to the US Open. We're planning a tr uh, trip to the French Open. And wow. my goal is to go to all of them, all of the Grand oh Slams I'd like to go to. But you, you could put me at any challenger match, and I'd be happy to. I just love to, I just love to watch people play. Wow, oh, I'm the same way. I'll watch like three O rec players, CIF finals when they were at Claremont Club last weekend. There was so doubles, good. like there was high level doubles. It was so freaking good. 
That's yeah. why I love watching it. Are you more of a singles or doubles player? I like to play doubles, but I can play oh. singles. Yeah. No way. No, I was doubles all through school. Yeah. Oh, we That's need cool. to get some doubles going. I, I'm such a nerd. I, I listen to doubles. There's a tennis podcast. Will, who hosts the podcast, I met at BNP Paribas. I was stalking him. But uh, I listen to like doubles only podcasts. And I'm not good. I'm not a good tennis player, but I just love it. I love learning about it. Once I, here was the thing that the light bulb went on for me. So I used to go and play tennis. Amber, by the way, our PIO was the one who got me back into tennis. I played a little bit as a kid. She came here. She's like, you ever play tennis? I was like, not, I used to. We went out and hit, had a blast. Then people from work kind of found out. We had this big work group going to play doubles tennis. We had like 10, 12 people. Wow. Super fun. Then we got into USTA. I've been addicted ever since. But what I loved about tennis when I became hooked, I used to just go out, hit the ball, get it back, you know. <laughs> then when I learned about this, the, the geometry, the angles, and the oh, strate yeah. strategy, strategy, I was like, oh, my God, this game is a thinking man's game. You can outsmart people. Um, and that's and when the athleticism like, that goes into it. Yeah. That's when I fell in love. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh my God. I could, we can do it three more hours on tennis. <laughs> oh, no doubt. My, my best friend and I, we, we were my best friend, Ryan, we went through school together every year. We would sign up for singles every single year. And every single year, the coach would be like, no, you guys are too good together and stick us. He stuck us together every single year. It would annoy us so bad. But we joke about it still to this day. How fun, how fun that was. That's a and lifelong a sport. Good, it's such a good coach too, because instead of telling you you're too bad for singles, he told you you're really good at yeah. doubles. He's yeah. too bad. <laughs> that was a very nice. That was a very nice message. Well, he was, he he was a very sweet, yeah, very sweet coach. All the yelling and screaming wasn't very sweet, but uh... <laughs> but hey, look, you're you're so good at doubles. We're gonna put you at doubles. That's, That's right. But so, oh my so. god, doubles is fun. Oh my god, I just changed my strings. I have tennis elbow. I did all this stuff anyway. I won't bore the rest of the audience with tennis talk, but that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I can talk tennis with you all day. That's, that's super cool. So you're five Oh though. You're, you're, you're a good level, good mm -hmm. level above, but I, a guy I played with doubles with, he was a five Oh and we, uh, it's just fun playing with better people. That's how you get better. Um, yeah. Super cool. Awesome. All right. Um, I know you still, I know somebody called you a, uh, Speaking of social media, I love your social media stories on your podcast. Somebody called you a sellout because you you have like T-shirts on your website That's... too. I don't think you're a sellout. I'm going to go buy some T-shirts. Thank you. So it's PattersonPerspective.com. You are a great follow on Instagram. And I'm sure it actually sounds even better on TikTok that you're a little more raw on the yeah, TikTok. Yeah, it's, it's a little less <laughs> PG on, on the TikTok. But um, it, we have a lot of fun over there. And I have another website called Sobertunity.com. So that is if you are thinking about quitting or you just want some more information about that. That's the focus of that website. Yeah. Beautiful. Love it. Anything else? Um, so, and your ads for IG and Twitter, they're all at Patterson perspective. That's correct. Yep. All right. Matthew, do you even remember your Twitter handle at, at this point? No, you at no Twitter. What was it you no. set up for me? There was one of them actually you set up for me. Yeah. Uh, I forgot I'm, what it was. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. I'm just on, not on Twitter. Why no. are you not on Twitter? Uh, it's you hate just... Elon Musk. Is that what happened? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I drive a Tesla. I'm, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> there you go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just have Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. That's all I can. That's all I can manage. Is Twitter too toxic? Twitter can be toxic. Yeah, it's a little too toxic for me. Yeah. 
All right. Well, you can find him at Patterson Perspective. The podcast is Sobriety Uncensored. And uh, hey, Daniel, appreciate your time. Appreciate what you're doing. Uh, Your story is incredible. Congratulations on your journey. I think uh, you sharing it, it is inspirational and helpful to others. And um, I just think it's uh, definitely empowering for people and just what you're doing. Appreciate it. And thanks. We we probably held you way too long. But no, this has been uh, great. I appreciate it. It's nice to see you again, Matthew and Ryan as well. Yeah, and I appreciate you guys having me on. Have a great day. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Matthew, oh, hey, real quick before we go, this is really important. Speaking of support and selling out, peachjar.com. Go check them out. They're the greatest uh, <laughs> company in the United States supporting the School PR podcast. They are amazing, though. Everyone uses them. You should, too. Soundmind.com, how I met Daniel. They're doing mental health for schools and educators. What they're doing um, in schools is very powerful. And Daniel, I, don't, I think you know this, but one of my former interns from years ago started Soundmind, and what he's doing is just super amazing and then nickel strategies if you need help with your public relations your branding crisis communications check out nickelstrategies.com they have an amazing team doing really good work throughout the country so check out all those sponsors and you know our last sponsor our most important sponsor did you know matthew patterson perspective.com is giving us 10 grand a month just to mention their website <laughs> this is fantastic. so great so, so great fantastic. real givers over there real givers, real givers. that's a yeah. generous company over there <laughs> oh anyway check out patterson perspective pick up a t-shirt buy the book and we'll catch you guys next time on the school pr podcast see you